Today's episode is brought to you by Slayhouse Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. So, Trevor, I, I really love this collection of short stories by Stephen King. Um, I mean, it really doesn't read like his other stuff, but Jeremy, it's close. I, I mean, I hear, I just hear him in the net Jeremy, narration. Hey, yeah. it's, it, it, it's not Stephen King we're reading this week. Wh- huh? What do you mean? Trust me, it it's not Stephen King. But it sounds just like Stephen King. Like, like, well, who is it? Then? It's not Stephen King, though. It's Joe Hill. J- uh, what? No, that's just a pseudonym. It. Well, I mean, it is a pseudonym, but it, it's his son. It's. A, well, hold on a sec. You mean to tell me that Stephen King has a son, and he grew up to be a horror writer just like his dad, and he writes just like his dad, so that the narrative voices are the same? Okay. Yeah. No, it's his son. Like, Barnes & Noble confirmed it for me last week. I was there, and they had a big display of Stephen King, and it said that Stephen King is Joe Hill's dad. But, so, okay, hold on a second. So, what has Joe Hill done that I might have known? Like, Well, he's done a lot of stuff. He wrote Lock and Key. Uh, he did that book, Nosferatu. It was turned into an AMC show uh, starring Zachary Quinto, which you may remember as Spock, not Spock. Uh, he also did Horns. That movie with the grown-up Harry Potter? Man, that was some weird shit. Yeah, uh, but that's him. I mean, he's Stephen King's son. And today we're supposed to talk about his short story collection, 20th Century Ghosts. Well, fuck me. Please, no. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Slayhouse Publishing's Lit Bits. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Trevor. And in this episode, we're going to talk about Mini King, Joe Hill. I don't know if he'd appreciate being referred to as Mini King. Okay, well, fair enough. Let's just call him Steve 2.0. Like a new and improved version. I like it. Yep, yep. His his monsters and his ghosts, I think, are a little bit more complex than King's. Yeah, I mean, Stephen King had some classical monsters. Uh, He really gave them a lot of humanistic characters uh, and characteristics. But I think Hill just takes it a little bit further. Uh, he really elevates a lot of the monsters. Um, like Manx in Nosferatu isn't just a vampire, but he's a vampire with a car obsessed with Christmas and only takes little kids. Wait a second. Wait, okay, wait a second. Is Manx obsessed with Christmas or is his car obsessed with Christmas? I didn't write this script, Jeremy, so <laughs> fuck you. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I We should blame the writer. Um Okay, so like his Daniel Radcliffe character, who becomes a monster, then uses the horror to exact his revenge. But I don't know if like him being the monster is actually the scariest part of that book, Horns. It's definitely the horror rockabilly protagonist in Heart-Shaped Box, obviously modeled off of Rob Zombie. That's the scariest part. Uh, His actions directly caused his personal haunting in that book. Okay, so... He's done some comics and he's done some novels, but we aren't talking about those today. We're talking about Hill and his uh, short story collection, 20th Century Ghosts. So maybe we should start with a brief biography of Joe Hill. I agree. Um, It's interesting that his personal website hasn't been updated. Like I was looking at that just the other day and it talks about him not being on Twitter very much. And being more on Instagram, but actually, if you follow him on either social media, he's more on Twitter now, and um, it doesn't look like they've updated the the website since 2017. Um, but it does say that he gave himself the pen name to succeed more on his own merits than the than his family name. He didn't want to be known as King, um, which I find amusing. I mean, I can totally see that, like. 
him walking into his creative writing class and his professor being like, what's your name? And he says, Joe King. And he says, you look like Stephen King. No, 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 no. I'm not Stephen King. I'm not Stephen King. Okay, well, you look like him. No, 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 no. My name's Joe Hill. My name's Joe Hill. Well, okay, let's turn in our, our first uh, short story assignments, everybody. So he goes and he turns in his first short story assignment. And the, the professor's like, you know, really, I see some room for improvement on this. And then he's like, are you kidding me? I'm, J- I'm Stephen King's son. <laughs> um, he's got numerous he was, awards. Yeah, go ahead. He was just Joe King. He was just Joe King. Exactly. Pun, pun, pun. Dad joke of the day right there. <laughs> yeah, he's got a lot of awards, right? I mean, uh, 20th Century Ghosts was a national bestseller. Uh, what other awards has he got? Uh, shoot, I knew you'd ask me that. He's won, like, Bram Stoker Awards. He's won um, Saturn Awards. He's the, if You go on his website and you go on, like, his Wikipedia page, there's just a whole host of awards that he's actually won. Yeah, World Fantasy Award. World Fantasy I mean, Award, yeah. Like, his stuff, it seems like as though Stephen King is putting out, like, just a ton of stuff. I mean, he's one of the most prolific masters of horror. And uh, here's Joe Hill, who has a slightly smaller output, but a lot of his stuff is getting a lot of awards and a lot of critical attention, which I think is really impressive for a younger writer of a new generation of horror. I think so, too. And in fact, for me, it feels almost like he really paid attention to his dad, like in, in studying and learning about Stephen King himself. You know, you, you hear these stories and Stephen King was an avid reader growing up and he really paid attention to the way stories and books that he was reading were being crafted. And he, he really emulated that in his own writing. And it seems almost like Joe Hill has done this too. He's kind of looked at the craft of his father, but then he stood on his shoulders and he's like, wait a second, I'm going to do more. And I'm going to try and put out something with just as much quality and just as much resonance as what my father has done. Just maybe not as, a scattershot is what my father yeah, has done. Yeah, I agree. I really have some thoughts about some of these stories that we read from this collection, but we'll get to those in a second. Uh, Joseph Hillstrom King, uh, without the umlaut over the O in his middle name, if you're wanting to spell this for, you know, your, I don't know, high school reading test or something. Uh, he was born June 4th, 1972 in Herman, Minnesota. And Maine? Is uh, that Minnesota? Did I type Minnesota for Maine? Yeah. Oh, Did shit. You? Yeah. I'm going to retake that. <laughs> no, it's... I kind of like the joke, but... <laughs> Herman Maine? It's Herman Maine? Yeah. Oh, no. Did I... Do I not know my states? No, I think you do. I don't know. Maine, Maine is M-E. Yeah. Maine is M-E, so you're right. Okay. I'm having a crisis right now. <laughs> we should probably save this for, like, the outtakes or for, something, because like, this is great. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> and he does have an umlaut in his in his century retaking it. Oh, he oh I'm sorry, he no, does have fine. an umlaut. Yeah, the umlaut. I just didn't know how to do the umlaut in the. I got it. Okay, I'm gonna retry. Joseph Hillstrom King with an umlaut for those of you who are taking notes uh, was born in June fourth, nineteen seventy two, in Herman, Maine, and grew up in Bangor, Maine. At nine. He was in his dad's and George A. Romero's film Creepshow. He married his wife, whom he vet, met at Vassar, had three kids, then divorced, and he's now married to publisher Gillian Redfern. So what's weird about that is his wife is given um, her last name as King as well. So 
I don't know if they're just referring to like her with her married name or if she also happened to have the name King. It sounds a bit incestuous. Um, but isn't it a big cliche that he married his publisher? I mean, how else do you get published? That's true. That's true. Unless yeah. you go to Slayhouse Publishing. We're yeah. looking for stories. Send them. Yeah. And we promise we won't sleep with you or marry you. Unless you're really hot. No, don't. Don't. <laughs> I, I regretted it as soon as I said it. I said, I'm sorry. I'm married. I'm very devoted. <laughs> so am I. And we're, we're obviously, we're married to two different women. So, you know, there's that. So you're definitely double safe. And I'm, I think our, I think both of our, uh, our Wayne Howard studio guys are, are married as well too. Yeah. Nobody's going to leer at you. I promise. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, getting away from that little tangent there, um, you know, like we said at the beginning of the episode, he's. Uh, known for Horns, starring Daniel Radcliffe. I would say that's probably where most of of his career has really taken off in terms of his reception. Uh, that's certainly where I kind of found him first, except for uh, Lock and Key, which I was a really big fan of. I didn't even realize who Joe, Joe Hill was at the time. It's really kind of funny. I was reading Lock and Key, which I, I love as a graphic novel. I'm a really big fan of comic books. Uh, and I felt like it was very Stephen King-like, the story. Uh, and it was only many years later that I actually put two and two together. So what's really interesting is that he first his first book published was Heart Shaped Box, and then his second or third book was Horns, but it was also the first book to get a book deal. And then Lock and Key came out, um, I want to think before, Four, because because before that, because Heart Shaped Box was published in like 2006, and then his collection of short stories, his different short stories, were all published in like the late 90s to early 2000s. So that's kind of an interesting timeline because we, you're right. I think Lock and Key made him famous, but that was not his first his first rodeo. It was it was kind of after he had started. Yeah, in fact, if you look at many of the stories that we're looking at for 20th Century Ghosts, uh, this book was, I think, first published in the United States in the late aughts, uh, but most of them were actually published before in other places uh, in the 90s, um, you know, late 90s into the, the aughts, and then collected as a book. And from the, uh, the afterword that Joe Hill gives us, uh, it seems as though he actually had a little bit of a difficult time getting this stuff collected in the first place. And it was, you know, thanks to some publishers in the UK that this book even kind of exists. So, oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. So we're not going to have time to cover all the stories in the in the collection today. Um, so we're going to cover three of them, right? We're going to cover his short story, Best New Horror, his short story, 20th Century Ghosts, and his short story, The Black Phone. Um, so do you want to tell us what each story is kind of about, or at least one or two of them? Sure, I'll give it a crack. Best New Horror is about a horror publisher who is looking to put out his annual book on Best New Horror. And he receives a submission from a mysterious figure who he has trouble tracking down. And when he finally does track him down, seems like maybe he's part of some kind of hillbilly murder cult yeah i so the story works on a couple of different levels not only does it have a real surreal kind of atmosphere in it 
Um, but it's also kind of meta because if you go to your local bookstore, there really is a best new horror anthology that at least if not anymore, it used to come out just about every year. Yeah. In fact, these anthologies have become somewhat popular in recent years, and we're seeing some of a, a resurgence, if you will, of new horror anthologies. I think Best New Horror was originally published uh, and edited by Stephen Graham Jones and, right. and someone else, I think. Yep. Um, in any case, 20th Century Ghost is a short story about a young woman who died in a movie theater and continues to come back and haunt the movie theater and the theater's current owner is worried about what might happen to her if the theater has to close okay and then the black phone is about a young boy who is kidnapped by an obese man and kept in the basement where there is a phone that is disconnected from everything but rings with the calls of the dead cool very cool. That's always a fun time, you know, to have a phone that rings from the calls of the dead. I really like, wish that my phone would ring with more calls from the dead because yeah. right now it only seems to ring with people who want something from me or they want to try to sell me some insurance. And I'm really just not interested in an extended car warranty. I was going to say, how's stop your car calling warranty? me. Yeah. Please. Would you like to save, mo save money on your no, student No, I loans? don't. I don't want to. I would much to rather have a president <laughs> just get rid of the student loans. That's an entirely different problem, though. Yeah, it's a totally different podcast. Yeah, One we might tackle. Not here. all of us have Stephen King money over here, We're trying. what I'm saying. We're trying. And if you like what you hear, contribute to Slayhouse Publishing Please so we too can help me pay off our not lose loans. my pants. You don't want to see him without his pants, really. Nobody does. Not even my wife. So... Now that we know what all three stories are about, do you want to talk a little bit about the themes that you kind of discovered in, in reading these stories? I really would, actually. I wrote to you that one of my favorite stories from this collection was actually 20th Century Ghost. I think that it is a tremendous story because what this story is, uh, of course, there's uh, this ghost, right, that's haunting this theater. And, and in that way, I think that the ghost is kind of representative of a lot of other similar gothic stories. But what what's interesting f from this story, I think, is the way in which Joe Hill tries to explore that human connection that we kind of build to places or that we build uh, to the past and the sense of a kind of continuous loss of the past or the a loss of history as we continue to push our society for something newer and something fresher. There's always this danger of, of for some reason or another, losing the past. Um, and so what 20th Century Ghost, I think, really does very well is center in on this guy who's not only worried about whether or not his movie theater is going to survive uh, the immediate future as movie theaters kind of fall out of vogue, something I think we can definitely relate to nowadays in this weird pandemic time. Yeah, true, true. Uh, but he's, he's also worrying about what that means for local history and specifically for this ghost that is haunting his theater. What happens to this 
ghost who happens to be an enthusiast of movies if the movie theater in which she lives kind of breaks down. So it deals with that human connection, I think, to personal history and strives, I think, to use horror in a way that connects us kind of to the here and the now and the the problems that we have as human beings living in a society that seems to keep changing around us. It's something that I think we see a lot in postmodern fiction, especially. And I would definitely say that Stephen King's son, Joe Hill, I almost, I almost <laughs> messed it up. I almost messed it up because I, I confuse him with Stephen King so much. His style is so similar. Well, if you want to be safe, you could say Joe King or Stephen Hill. I could do something like that. Yeah. It would be very disrespectful, though. Yeah, six of one, half a dozen. You know. But I think that, you know, what he does and, and what a lot of postmodern horror is trying to do is trying to kind of position us in the space we live in in this society where things feel very uncertain and, you know, try to connect us back to something we know. I think that's very popular in postmodern fiction. Help me out. So that seems to me like a, a strong theme, not just in postmodern fiction, but also what the 20th century was about and kind of what the early 21st century is about, is about that hanging on as, as times drastically change. Um, and so one of the things that I want to talk about personally as, a, um, as someone who knows craft and who looks at craft, I want to look at how he achieves this through his craft. And one of the things I'm going to be focusing on get ready for a nerd alert, um, is something called The Objective Correlative by T.S. Eliot. So, nerd alert, nerd alert. Okay, that's fine. Um, the Objective Correlative is all about how things are shown through images to represent the internal. So if you look at the kinds of movies that he's showing, if you look at the quality of this theater and this and this story that he's talking about, this ancient theater, like I can picture it, like this old Rialto theater, um, that used to be in downtown El Dorado, Arkansas, these old theaters with the broad curtains that would pull back to reveal the screen. Some of these were old playhouses that were converted into movies. That's what I picture when I see this, this theater. Yeah, absolutely. And so his, his attention to detail and his attention to the images is all about calling to mind this falling away of this old theater and how this this guy would this is the main uh, plot of the story the main character is struggling with keeping this theater alive but he makes it personal because it's not just about keeping the theater alive it's keeping the ghost alive that's in the theater and another cool thing that hill does in this is that early on in the story he talks about how the main character can know if somebody has really seen the ghost or not by the way they describe their encounter with the ghost. Because the people who really try and jump into this, like, this is quintessential horror, this is quintessential ghost story, he knows almost from the minute they open their mouth that they have not seen this ghost that haunts this theater. Because if they had, she wouldn't be anything like that. And that, to me, that detail is tantamount to... um, to postmodern ghost stories as we see them now. They're not interested in the old, you know, kind of shock, the old kind of tales. They're interested in something new or something different, something unique that we don't always get with with a lot of ghost stories. Right. I think postmodern horror more than 
a lot of other horror that we've seen. You know, postmodern horror is definitely concerned with trying to recombine elements in an interesting way. That's a lot of postmodern horror or, or a lot of postmodern literature in general, right? Lots the of re- genre blending. Yeah, recombining yeah. a lot of, of of old ideas in new or surprising ways. I think that's definitely what happens in best new horror, right? Yes. Um, where we have this this guy who's, you know, he's read so many horror stories, they all sound pretty much the same, but then he runs across a new horror story from a new horror writer that seems really compelling and just bizarre and strange and startling in a way that many of these other horror writers that are just mimicking the things that have been done in the past don't necessarily do. I think it's really interesting that that we keep making comparisons between Joe Hill and Stephen King um, as writers because I, I think that Stephen King, you know, as well was really really derivative of other horror writers that came before him in some of his early work. Um, So figures like Richard Matheson, I think, was super influential on Stephen King. And we can see the influence on Joe Hill from writers like Richard Matheson or writers like Stephen King. But I think what Joe Hill is trying to do is bring a, a, a new perspective, a fresh perspective that comes from his generation so I think, and, and using the same tropes, right? So I feel like you made a good point when you talked about like, um, and in, in case those of you have, have wondered, Trevor and I have actually already talked about this at length. So we're just trying to bring back into the podcast what it is that we're, we're discussing. Um, so when you mentioned off air that Stephen King to you reminded you a little bit of EC Comics, um, I'm seeing this too to a different degree within Joe Hill. So like with Best New Horror, he's combining these serialistic, surrealistic images mm-hmm. and he's bending them and blending them together in such a unique way. Like you have this odd short story that we don't actually read, but we're told to through the narrator. Yeah, we've, we're given kind of a summary of this short story that the, the editor has found Right. Right. And then you get this this professor comes in and he delivers, he calls it surreal, but by labeling it surreal, we think it's surreal too. And we we attribute that that surreal surreality. I don't know, I'm making up words as we go along. Um, we attribute this to the rest of the story. So like this professor says when he actually meets the author of this this short story. Um, this professor uh, had originally like workshopped with the author, I guess, and published it in his lit mag and then was fired for it. Um, and so our editor main main character, our Stephen Graham Jones character, um, got a hold of this professor. And the professor describes this encounter with this this author and his brother. And his brother is like grotesquely fat. And he meets the author and his brother in this little apartment. And while the author is giving his brother a piercing, they are enraptured by this footage that they seem to be watching over and over again of the Jonestown massacre. And the way that the publisher or the the professor describes this scene, it is very just dreamlike. And it's, it's almost like you're outside of yourself. And that's the same exact feeling we get from our main character, the editor, when he's finally reached the end of this story. Yeah. 
Exactly. The black phone plays with some similar tropes as well. You know, the the phone call from the dead, I think, is a a recurring trope in a lot of horror fiction. Uh, And yet we find that particular trope now combined with this story of a child being kidnapped and uh, potentially murdered by uh, a part-time clown. So you get the illusion there, right? This, you're a little younger than me, so this might have escaped your, your knowledge, but I'm, I'm going to test your knowledge. Have, who here in this room, in this studio, has heard of John Wayne Gacy? Someone just told me about that. I think it was Caitlin. Yeah. I think Caitlin just talked about it, and I had no idea. Yeah, he's riffing on John Wayne Gacy in this. John Wayne Gacy was this huge, um, very, very large man that would dress up as a clown for children's parties, and then he would abduct young men and murder them, and he had something like 30 bodies under his house. So when I read The Black Phone, I'm totally reading John Wayne Gacy in this part. Hold the phone. 30 bodies? (laughs) 30s, yeah, 30-something bodies, yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah, and then what's even more terrifying is that when John Wayne Gacy was convicted and sent to prison, he then drew pictures of clowns, and people bought these clowns, bought these pictures, and, like, oh, paid no. money for these. Like, you think the We're Joker— We're pulling up video right now so that I can Joker see this. You think the Joker and Batman is terrifying? Is terrifying like, Jeremy, I already have a clown phobia. <laughs> My mother and father are going to listen to this podcast, and they're immediately going to be like, why are you telling this Why, hello, Trevor. I'm going to cry later. That's <laughs> what's going to happen. Do you need some melatonin? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's a callback <laughs> to a joke that is never going to air. It could air. It could air. We could We could traumatize people with it. Much as we're being traumatized with pictures of, of John Wayne Gacy right now. So that's who I envision when I picture this black phone. You know, once more, I think that this is something that Joe Hill definitely draws on. He makes a lot of literary allusions, whether it be to the uh, Stephen Graham Jones edited uh, anthology, you know, in Best New Horror or the theaters that we've all definitely seen. I mean, here in Arkansas, just locally, I'm thinking of the hotel up north in Eureka Springs, which is allegedly haunted. Um, and then the the Black Phone with John Wayne Gacy. There's another story that we're not going to talk about called, uh, what was it called? I think it was, um, and now you will hear the locusts sing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is kind of a riff on Franz Kafka's Metamorphosis. Yeah, except so he, like a twi- another twisted kind of... Yeah. So it, it seems like he takes these stories, these kind of, uh, I don't know, call them literary best hits or greatest hits or, or, or you know, kind of taking from these very well-known stories... That are all 20th century, by the way. Yes, that are definitely 20th century. And and trying to relate them to kind of the horror tropes that we see most often. In both Best New Horror and The Black Phone especially, I think there's this sense of, uh, too, a, a kind of resurgence of the anxiety around the rural spaces of America. Um, and especially of divisions of privilege and wealth, uh, because we see a lot of his characters, a lot of the horror that his characters face, uh, you know, come from, um, you know, whether it be the the family that is 
hard up for money and they're sawing something out in their rural cabin in Maine. Uh, with grandma chained up in the bedroom? With grandma chained up in the bedroom. Uh, or, you know, in, in the black phone with this morbidly obese part-time clown living with his crackhead brother. Uh, and they've got a, a scary soundproof basement, right? Uh, there's this sense of anxiety, uh, whether it be of the, the division between these rural and urban spaces, uh, or sometimes just the spheres of privilege that sometimes we take for, for granted. You know, in 20th century ghosts, uh, the um, theater owner, you know, is also kind of hard up for money. And he has a, a Steven Spielberg type offered to buy the theater from him, right? Um, so we see a lot of anxiety, I think, uh, from Joe Hill about, you know, these spaces where the division between the haves and the have-nots are, are so profound and really kind of the horrors, the everyday horrors that come, um, not necessarily, you know, from the scary person around the street, but, but maybe even perhaps the scary conditions that they lived in before. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what's what's fascinating for me is this idea, and again, to go back to my little nerd alert, this T.S. Eliot objective correlative, is that from a craft perspective, we see Joe Hill tackling these things um, through these different images he's including in his stories. And, and it's this idea that... Um, the outside mirrors the inside. So, and I think that's very, very important for horror fiction. I think we have to understand how the outside marries the inside. And the outside can be a number of things like we see here. It can be a callback to a murderous clown. It can be um, these uh, juxtaposing kind of settings that we're seeing, um, these people from different round or levels of privilege. So you're right. I think all of that marries into it. And I think his craft is showing that as we're, as we're moving on. So, um, Anything else you want to add about Joe Hill or? You know, I really just my my thoughts, my summed up thoughts, because I had not read Joe Hill outside of Lock and Key until. It's very different than Lock and Key, isn't it? And, it's very different. And, and I love Lock and Key. I oh, really yeah, do yeah, me too. as a, a graphic novel. Uh, but his short fiction, I'm I'm a super fan of this short fiction. I, I can't get over how much I've really enjoyed reading it for this podcast. If you haven't read it yet, you should absolutely go out and read it. Um, highly recommend it. So that's it, folks. That's um, our Joe Hill perspective. Uh, we might come back and revisit some of his longer works in the future. We might take a deeper dive into Lock and Key. We might take a deeper dive into... Um, shoot, I could see rereading, uh, um, uh, I don't know, Nosferatu or Nosferatu or Fireman Fireman would be good. Um, yeah, I could see rereading any of these heart shaped box. That would be a really interesting read. Um, but for now, I think that's good. Um, I wanted to remind some people of everything that we are going to, I think I'm thinking, of course I should ask Trevor what he thinks about this too. But I'm thinking we open up um, submissions for the fall anthology in maybe September and run for about a month. Yeah, if you are interested in contributing to Slay House Publishing's first anthology of horror fiction, really, you should reach out. You should submit a story to us. We'd really love to read your stuff. As soon as we open submissions, keep checking our social media and keep checking our website, and we should be opening submissions pretty soon. Um, 
And uh, Jeremy, where can they find us on social media? So our main website is slayhouse.com. We're under um, Slayhouse has its own Twitter. It has its own Instagram. It has its own TikTok. It has its own Reddit. It has we have we have flooded the market with our our brand and our logo. So just when you get on, uh, I assume there's you can search when you get on any of these uh, social media platforms. Just look for uh, Slayhouse Publishing, and we should pop right up. And then follow us, and don't forget our. Uh, we have a we've got a new feature where you got to buy me a coffee little thing if you like what you're hearing and want to donate a few bucks to us. We'd hey, be happy Jeremy's to have it. got his socks. I, I would like some socks. new socks too, though. Yeah, Trevor needs new socks for his. Um, this week, the Patreon will go towards his new socks. All also, my money went to student loans. All of his money went to student loans. Also, um, if you notice, if you were looking at Trevor right now, he's wearing his penny loafers, and so he needs uh, some matching shoelaces. I'd like some dollar loafers, please. He would like some dollar loafers. He wants to be able to, to fold a dollar bill in there, y'all, and and put it. So, um, uh, <laughs> hey, what have we got for the next episode? Uh, it could be a real hellraiser. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Dad joke of the day. Number two. Number two. All right. We'll see y'all. Have a good one.